see if this microphone works. Can you hear me okay? Beautiful. Those, those first lines in that, that song, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. I just love standing there and hearing more of the voices behind me singing beautiful praises to our Lord. Not to like put you guys off, you guys were fantastic too, but hearing all the voices in the room singing praises to our Lord, it's just a beautiful thing that we get to do together each Sunday, isn't it? And, and it's a real honour for me to be able to come here and speak to you this morning, particularly where we are in the journey of Jesus. How good it has been to have that slow movement through the book of John, seeing week after week who Jesus is, how he's fulfilling all that God has set up for him to be through the Old Testament. It's just brought the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible, the whole of what Jesus is to life, hasn't it? And we get to last week and it reaches that pinnacle of Christ on the cross. All of the things that were building up in who Jesus was came to fulfilment. It is finished as he's taken the sin of humanity on his shoulders. And then we get to this week, we're looking at the other side of that grand story, the resurrection. He is risen. I want to start this morning by just going through some of the verses from Scripture that just talk about how incredible and important the resurrection is. So just bear with me here. 1 Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans 1, he has shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then 1 Corinthians 15, I don't know if you've read that recently, but 1 Corinthians 15 is just a great glorious rant from Paul about how amazing the resurrection is and how fundamental it is for our faith. Let me go through some of the verses. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest for all who have died. And it keeps going on. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. Death is swallowed up in victory O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sin is the sting of, uh, that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he has given us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the power of the resurrection. Jesus is demonstrating his ultimate victory. All of humanity, all of creation has been leading up to this moment. Jesus has shown himself who he is. He has died on the cross for our sin and he has raised victorious. This is the greatest win in forever past and forever future. Jesus has achieved the greatest victory. And that's what we get to speak about today. 
So if you just humour me for a moment and think in that context about what this is all about, I want you just to close your eyes for a second with me. And this might seem weird, but I just want you to think about, put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a second. It has all been leading up to this moment. You have done it. You have achieved the greatest victory. Many who have looked upon you and the world has seen that you have just died, but you have raised victorious. And the question that I want you to picture is, if this was you, how would you tell the world of your victory? Just picture the scene. Where do you go? What do you do? And how do you reveal it? I'll give you a second. I wonder what your picture was like. Here's what my picture was. The biggest audience that I could possibly find at at that day and age. The lights would darken. The fake floor would move. I would rise up as smoke starts to pour out amongst the stadium and fireworks display comes as a big band comes behind me and sort of celebrates the ultimate reveal of me to the masses. Now, I don't know if your thought was anything like that. Maybe you're holding a press conference, maybe you're streaming it on Instagram Live. I don't know what you're thinking, but Jesus' thoughts are quite different when we come to John 19 and 20. A little bit more personal. Probably a little bit more holy than my superficial spectacle. So we're going to read together through John 19 and 20, and it's a fairly long passage, so bear with me, and I won't put it on the screen because it would be slides and slides long. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, grab it out. We're looking at John 19 from verse 38 onwards. So John 19, verse 38. Afterward, Joseph from Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He bought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Jesus and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. 
Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stood and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognise him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which in Hebrew meant teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Pretty different from my ridiculous pop star sort of entrance, isn't it? But it's much greater and ultimately has much more depth and meaning than anything that I could have come up with. One commentator says this of this passage, We should have said, let his death be private and his glorious resurrection public. But God's thoughts are not ours. And he ordered it that his death should be public, but the demonstrations of his resurrection should be reserved as a favour for his particular friends and by them be published to the world that those might be blessed who have not seen and yet believed. It's a personal reveal to Mary first and then the disciples, including Peter and John. So what I want to do with the rest of this morning is just unpack each of those encounters with Jesus of Mary and of Peter and of John, and to see what came out of those. So firstly, Mary. Mary Magdalene. It's a name that we're all familiar with, but how much does she actually come up in Scripture? The main place is Luke 8, which simply says that among the followers of Jesus was, and I quote, Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus had cast out seven, seven demons. Not a lot, is there? There's not a lot about who Mary Magdalene is, apart from that she's been afflicted by demons and that she's a follower of the Lord. It's clear that she's a devoted follower because she's there at the tomb and she's weeping for him. But what I take from it is Mary is just sort of a fallen follower like the rest of us. She's ordinary. And that is what is so brilliant about this passage, I believe. Because you see there between Mary going and seeing that the tomb is empty, she goes and gets Peter and John, some of the closest disciples and followers of Jesus. They come racing over to the tomb, go and check it out, and it's not until they leave again that Jesus reveals himself. He chooses to reveal himself first 
to Mary. At this moment of absolute victory for the world, Jesus has chosen out one ordinary person that he reveals himself to. How much does that just say about how much Jesus loves the one and loves each of us individually? It reminds me back in Luke 15 where it's the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep where you leave the 99 and you go after the one and there is rejoicing in heaven and amongst the angels when one lost is found. Our God and our Saviour Jesus Christ cares so deeply about the one that even in his grandest moment, he is focusing on the one. And I love how he does it too. Mary is mourning. She's confused. She thinks that the body of Jesus has been stolen. Angels appear to her. And this would be one of the most miraculous moments, right? If you come and see two angels standing there, you'd be pretty in awe and overcome. Mary hardly even notices. She's so deeply in mourning for Jesus. Jesus shows up. She mistakes him for the gardener. And then there's the moment of reveal where Jesus simply says, Mary. He says her by name. Another comrade, she said, Jesus didn't reveal himself by telling Mary who he was but by telling her who she was to him. How beautiful is it that we have such a relational God? We spoke before about the instruction we have is to love others and it's because Jesus has first loved us and it's not the royal us, all of us, it is each one of you. It reflects into some passages earlier in John and we'll throw them up on the screen. John 10 The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognise his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus calls Mary by name. After he gathers his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Mary as fo- and others have followed Jesus to his death, his crucifixion, the taking the sins for us. And now Jesus is calling Mary by name and leading her into the new resurrected life. Probably what I hadn't noticed before is that later in this passage, we go to verse 17 and 18, and it says this, The Father loves me, this is Jesus talking, because I sacrificed my life, so that I may take it back up again. How are the parallels here, guys? No one can take my life from me. Isn't that interesting in light of last week? No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it back up again. This is exactly what Jesus has done here in his death and resurrection. He has had control. God has been over all of this. Jesus has done it for us, had this victory, and he's calling us by name to say, come, follow me into this new resurrected life. 
Jesus then leaves Mary with this instruction. He says, don't cling to me, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. We could spend weeks on this little instruction, but I just want to pull out three things quickly for you here. Firstly, Jesus not only makes Mary the first witness of the resurrection, but the first to go out on mission to tell others about the resurrected Lord. This is his love for ordinary Mary Magdalene. Second, Jesus makes clear that this is not his permanent arrangement. He's not going to be around as the risen Lord, being just there physically in a body with Mary forever forward. But more, he's moving on to be ascended to the Father. It's time for the next phase in that mission, that phase where it's to his followers to go and take it to the world. And lastly, the victory is made clear here because we've shown that personal relationship that we can now have to God the Father. It is our Father, our God. Jesus has enabled our personal connection to the God of the universe. Pretty amazing, right? Let's move on to Peter. Peter was one of the closest disciples to Jesus, as we all know. Do you remember the last time we heard about Peter just a couple of chapters ago? It was him denying Jesus three times at the most critical moments of Jesus' ministry. Can you imagine being Peter here? You've walked with Jesus. You've said, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And then you've gone ahead and done it as Jesus has led up to the cross. He has died and you haven't been with him. To Peter's credit, he has this deep love for Jesus. That as soon as he hears something has happened to the tomb, he starts running to go and check out what's going on. But what I love more here is Jesus' reveal back to the disciples. Really, Jesus was left abandoned on the cross. The disciples were scattered. They weren't there. But when Jesus came, they're scared. They've got the locked door. But Jesus comes among them and he says, peace be with you. Jesus is bringing reconciliation. He is bringing love. He has taken Peter, who was the great abandoner before the cross. That sin was dealt with on the cross. And instead, Peter can have new life as the rock on which Jesus is going to build his church. We all have a sense like that where we're fallen in multiple ways, but Jesus brings reconciliation. That sin that you have is dying on the cross with him. He is leading you now into a new, restored, resurrected life, free from any of that guilt. Lastly, let's look at John. I have... I can't get over how great this series has been and how much depth has come through it that has just opened my eyes to who Jesus is through the lens of the Old Testament in particular. The depth of the book of John is astounding. 
And I want to just remember that context that you see in terms of our logo that you may believe, and it comes from this verse that's going to come up on the screen. John 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. John is setting this all up so that we may believe. And isn't it interesting that where this verse comes up is coming up really soon. It comes up at the end of this chapter on the resurrected Jesus. This is what this is about in this chapter as in the rest of Scripture. It is about helping us believe in the Lord. And we see here, even in this story of the resurrection, how much it brings to life the promises of the Old Testament, but also the promises of Jesus. And if we have a look at Psalm 16, which will come up as well, Psalm 16, 10 to 11, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Jesus has just lived this out. He has not rotted in the grave. He has risen to life. And just to check, did anyone pick up the typo? I'm just checking that you're all still focusing here. The smirks say that you have. That's good. So he's lived out the promises of the Old Testament in the resurrection. But more than that, Jesus had promised this before and it's alluded to in this passage. If we go to John 2 on the next slide, Jesus says quite blatantly in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. There's so much we could go into here, but you see that three-day parallel and that Jesus has raised up the temple of God. And even more explicitly in Mark 9, the Son of Man, a name that Jesus gives to himself, is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. Check. He'll be killed. Check. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. Jesus has lived out the explicit things that he promised is going to happen. The disciples didn't get it at all, as we saw earlier in this passage tonight. But Jesus has fulfilled his own promises and all of the promises of the Old Testament. And John, as he gets to the, this story, he goes into details as well to help continue to paint the picture that will enable us to believe. It's almost comical, some of the details that he brings into it. Let's have a look at some of them. Verse 4. Peter and John were both running, but the other disciple, who John calls himself, outran Peter. Why give that detail? He wanted it to be forever known and for us to look at in mornings like this, thousands of years later, that John was a faster runner than Peter. What he doesn't say is Peter is double his age, so it's not, not a hard thing for him to do either, but he wanted it to be known that he was faster. But there's other details here too. Firstly, the details around the cloths that Jesus was buried in. And secondly, that Mary is the first witness. So remember the start of the reading today, we talked about Joseph from Arimathea and Nicodemus preparing Jesus' body for burial, applying spices and particular linen wrappings that were a part of burial at the time and placing him in the tomb. And now remember that Mary came to the tomb and at first was fearful that the body had been stolen. 
Now, I want you to think about being in that position as well. Firstly, out of the things that are in the tomb, being the body and the linen, the one thing that had any value is the linen. But that's left there. I think about if you're going to steal a body, which way would you prefer to do it? Would you prefer to take it wrapped? Or would you prefer to take a stripped, naked, like decaying body and then pile back up the cloth afterwards? It's just not going to happen, is it? So it's already painting this picture that something unique has happened at the tomb. John is giving these instructions to help us have belief and to bring in these scenes that we will look at these details thousands of years later and pick it up in the story of Jesus. Secondly, Mary is the first witness. Now, I'm sure if, if you've heard preaching on this passage before, you would have heard it before that a woman was not considered a sound witness for the purpose of courts at the time. So if you were going to falsify this account, the last thing that you would do is make a woman the first witness. But how much is God's ways better than ours and Jesus' knowledge better than ours that Jesus knows the inherent equal value of all people and that this was exactly the right thing to do because people would call upon this later and see that this is not a way to see that this is a false account but rather to see that this is a true account and that in the same moment Jesus will be painting that all of us are fallen, all of us are sinful, but all of us have an equal value and love of God that Mary is actually the perfect person for Jesus to reveal himself to first. So John, it's amazing that Jesus paints that John comes in and sees some things firsthand that he can give an account that we can look at unpack and rely on all these years later. Had Jesus followed my advice and come up with that spectacle, it's likely that could have just been written off in moments as a stunt. Thankfully, God's ways are a bit wiser than mine. Jesus revealed himself personally He revealed evidence of his resurrection to John and set up a way where the great news of Jesus could be passed on in writing and in testimony generation after generation after generation so that we can believe. What I really take from it, though, is Christ's love for each of us. doesn't matter whether you're a devoted follower like John someone who has encountered Jesus like Mary, or even a deserter like Peter, Jesus loves us all the same. And in every moment of his ministry, he's been thinking of us. You think back to any part of John and his reveal and care for the individual. You think of Jesus up on the cross, forgiving the sins of one of those being hung by him. And at this moment of resurrection, this grand reveal of his great victory, he loves the one in Mary. If there's anything I want you to take from this, it is that 
God so loves each of us. Right at the moment of his absolute victory for humanity, he loves you. He died for you to take your sins. He rose for you to give you new life in him. This may be new for some of you or it may be challenging for some of you. This is the greatest moment in history. Anybody here would love to talk to you about it if this is something you're grappling with. It is the greatest moment of human history. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you have worked through John to give us this amazing scripture that we can see all these elements of who Jesus is, how he fulfills everything in the Old Testament and how he has died and rose for us. Lord, it is difficult to fathom just how huge this is of being something that you have foreseen forever and it had this critical moment and it is not just glorifying you and it is not just saving humanity but it is also your deep love for each of us. Lord, help us to know it. Help us to feel it. Help us to believe it. Help us to hold on to the great, amazing love that you have for us and to respond in love too. Help us to be able to take hold of that new life that you are calling us to and that grand mission of being your witnesses to share of what you have done to anybody who will hear, just as Mary did, Lord. Lord, we just want to thank you for Jesus. Amen.